Hello and welcome to What on Earth, the first in a new series of podcasts from the Environmental Investigation Agency, or EIA. I'm Paul Newman, EIA's Press and Communications Officer, and today we're going to be taking a look at Indonesia and an imminent threat to its forests. Now, Indonesia led the world when it created laws to keep illegally logged timber out of international trade. This was a pioneering move which gave it easy access to valuable international markets such as the European Union and which transformed a nation with a shocking record on forest crime into a role model for other countries to follow. It wasn't just what Indonesia did, but how it did it. Building a national coalition in partnership with the EU, with the UK playing a significant role, to find a way to reform a corrupt, opaque system. But now, 20 years on from the chaos and violence of Indonesia's forests, and while the world's attention is consumed by the global coronavirus pandemic, all that progress is in danger of being overturned. Joining me today are Faith Doherty, EIA's Forest Campaigns Leader, and Mahdi Minangsari from Indonesian partner Kayum Telepak, who is also an EIA Forest Campaigner. And they'll be talking about the likely impact of revoking the regulations, the role civil society plays in protecting forests, and what the future looks like for Indonesia's precious rainforests. Faith Minang, welcome, and thanks for taking the time to share your thoughts with us. Morning. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hello. Manang, perhaps we can start by hearing from you about what it was like all those years ago before reform took place and the system we're trying to protect were put in place. What exactly was it like on the ground in the forest back then? Well, 20 years ago, the situation was very bad in terms of like what happens on the ground in the forest in Indonesia, because at that time, in the late 90s to mid 2000s, Indonesia is one of the countries with the highest rate of um, illegal loggings. It was so bad that almost 80% of the timber produced in Indonesia believed to come from illegal sources. So this is, well, this happened during the transition period after the uh, fall of Suharto regime. Then in Indonesia, we entered what we call the reform era or democratic democracy. Yeah. Um, And during this time, a lot of uh, new laws were being introduced, but uh, it also created like a lot of unclarity because some of these laws um, were not incompatible to one another and some were even contradictory. And it created gray areas whereby, uh, you know, some people took advantage in exploiting the um, natural resources, in this case is um, forests. When EIA and Telapak started this, uh, its campaigns by investigating what was happening in the forest, at that time we found out that illegal logging was actually massive. And the fact that we investigated national parks, a place that was supposed to be protected and yet we found that like kilometers of rail way to carry timber out of the national park was there then you know chainsaws working like every day and we saw kilometers of log rafts going out and then um, smuggled out uh, you know, outside of the country. And it was it was very devastating. And EIA and Tlapak's campaigns to reveal 
what was happening on the ground was actually one of the most important uh, campaign in terms of um, saving Indonesia's forest from illegal logging and associated trade. Because that was, I think, for the first time in Indonesia, after the reform era um, started, yeah, we have we have more freedom of expression. So that's why we could at that time um, um, launch a high-profile media campaign using audiovisual, and then it brought the issue as a priority issue for the Indonesian government. And then also, uh, if you remember, Faith, um, that campaigns that we did also then started like this whole um, movement of civil society who had been already very active on the ground, but the cooperation or the work of EIA and Telapak is actually like a cooperation between national NGO and international NGO trying to address a problem through partnership and then build the capacity of local and national NGOs to be involved and then um, uh, drive the process to find solutions. You remember that time, Faith? Yes, I, I remember it very well. And it was uh, something that really clicked with us and resonated, you know, after the investigations when you're in in the forest. I mean, we, we targeted a national park, a very famous national park called Tanjung Pudding, home to Indonesia's um, great ape, the orangutan that was under threat um, from this logging. And wh while we were there and what we saw really brought it home to us that this was not a small scale situation here. This was international trade, it was commercial, and it was, it was huge. And it was. it was there that it was there that we just realized this this can't be addressed unless you're looking at both ends here, because where's all this stuff going? It's certainly not staying in Indonesia. So who's buying it? And uh, that's when our investigation started to go international. And we started to look at ways where the consuming countries um, that were unaware of where their, tim where their furniture and timber was coming from. And that's kind of how the whole thing started in terms of, of looking at it from both ends. And where, you know, it took a long time. It took about seven years um, to have a process uh, that ha had everybody around the table in the sense of having people from the EU, um, all the stakeholders there, civil society, industry, government, and also Indonesia, the same thing. And uh, the whole purpose of it was to, to define what legality meant. Um, so that Indonesia had the sovereign right to create laws and, and push forward reform in the forest sector for trade. And that, that's how this whole thing kind of really started. Okay. Can I just ask, um, what, what exactly is the regulation that eventually came to be put in place to, um, to make sure that illegal timber stayed out of international trade chains from Indonesia? So, like what Faith just said, the first step that we did is to try defining what is legal timber. Because in Indonesia, every stakeholder has their own perceptions. Yeah, so once we get that, and it, it was done through a participatory process whereby all stakeholders sit in a room discussing, debating, a very heated discussion, as you can imagine, we have NGOs and private sectors industry in one room trying to find a consensus, if you like. 
So, and when when we agreed on what comprises legal timber, then we also agreed that there has to be a system that can verify that all timber that was produced, transported, processed, and sold in Indonesia or from Indonesia, they have to come or they have to be in compliance of relevant rules and regulations. So that's when this system that we built, that we developed, came about. So it's basically a mandatory certification system that verify all of that, that yeah? Um, and the unique thing about this system, like I said, because of the process, it's totally through multi-stakeholder process. And secondly, because it has independent monitoring function embedded into the system. And this independent monitoring function is actually implemented by civil society or even any citizens. So in a way, for the first time in Indonesia, we have a regulation that acknowledged formally the role of civil society as part of the checks and balances. Yeah, I think this is a really key point because whilst we were doing our investigations and people were in the forest witnessing and documenting all this crime and chaos, there was no system in play where you could actually make complaints. <clears throat> so that's why um, EIA and Telepac were producing reports and films and bringing this information, you know, out there so people could actually see what was going on. But we, we didn't have anything to do. We couldn't change anything. There was nothing in play. Now that system is there and, and uh, civil society, independent civil society monitoring is now part and parcel of that system. Not just that, but the findings from that can go into formal complaint system. This is really important because it's part of the, the structure of transparency. And, um, you know, nobody is saying here that every single piece of timber coming out of Indonesia is perfect. No system can guarantee that. There will always be vulnerabilities. But this surely really made a huge difference. And it's this system and this sort of uh, the verification of it and the, 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 the fact that most people feel that when they buy their furniture, they can at least ask where it's come from, at least at a minimum. Um, and what what's around it, and it, it's that that's under threat right now with this new with this new law from the Ministry of Trade, and it's that that we're really worried about because once you start doing that, what else is going to go? And what we don't want is to have to go back to the days where we're running around in the forest, risking our lives, um, working with communities, working with people uh, from other um, civil society organisations to say, look, this is really bad, our forests are under threat. And I think also one more thing, that system was there uh, and the, the agreement was signed between the EU and Indonesia, uh, they acknowledged that system. But since then, we've also got added threats to the forest through deforestation and the conversion of forests for commodities such as palm oil. So now what we're, we're looking at is a system that we wanted to build on so that it would include the issue of uh, conversion of the forest and really have um, some systems in place that we would be able to use to try and, and protect that threat that is also massive. Okay, I, I can see the, um, the clear advantage of, of the voluntary partnership agreement um, 
for for consumers at the end market in in Europe and other other countries in that, that they can have the the, the the safety of knowledge that what they're getting isn't stolen wood. There there must have been some economic benefits for Indonesia as a country to putting this in place. I presume in the by curbing illegal timber, um, then the timber sector itself must surely have benefited from from that open trade. Yes, actually, since the implementation of this system, the export of Indonesian timber and wood products have actually um, increased quite quite significantly. So, for instance, like um, in 2013, when we first um, implemented this system with along with the um, export licensing, the value of Indonesia's um, export is around six billion. But in dollars five, a year, yeah, yeah, six dollars, billion dollars a year, dollars a year. So, but in the five years, it doubled the value. And up up until now, actually, the value of Indonesia's wood exports since 2013 is almost 70 billion US dollars. So it was quite significant, and especially for the European market, um, one of one of one of the um, I think the sector that benefits from this system is actually furniture sector. And in Indonesia, the majority of the producers, furniture producers or furniture makers are SMEs. So this is actually- Small, small, yeah. small industry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. small, medium enterprises. So it's, this, is, this system actually benefit local producer, yeah, um, small, medium enterprises, including like artisanal furniture and, and handicraft makers. Yeah, actually, you know, that is a point. <clears throat> we were we were really surprised to see how open a lot of um, produ producers of furniture were to the whole thing, and um, particularly in Java. And, you know, there's been um, quite a reaction from that side of the industry to this possible threat of licensing being taken away, where there was sort of guaranteed access into the EU market. So this isn't about great big um, companies taking in sawn timber from Indonesia only. It is about a whole livelihoods issue of small, small furniture producers um, into our markets. It seems that just about everybody benefits from the VPA being in place apart from, I guess, yeah, the timber mafia and criminals. So why is there a push to overturn it now and where is that pressure coming from? Well, actually, the the trade regulation that was just issued last month, the the government argued that it is actually part of the um, uh, policy package to mitigate the economic impact of uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic. But uh, as far as I understand, this move by the Ministry of Trade is actually has been ongoing since. I don't know. 2015 was it faith when the first yeah, started? Yeah, they started to push back on it then. Yep. Yeah. So, and this is most most likely, or um, from our investigation, from and from our research, is actually um, some small part of the uh, business. Yeah, the the traders that have been profiting from, if you like illegitimate practices 
they just don't want to be regulated. I and think, also, <clears throat> yeah, and also, I, I, I think, uh, well, I don't know. They, they think that because through the regulating the timber sector, they, they may get like the uh, huge profit in a very short term. Maybe that's one, one thing that uh, they want to get. But eventually, I think it will, it will not happen like that, or um, it will, they will not uh, get what what they think that they will get. I think it's important to note that Manang is right, within Indonesia it's a small group of people, but there is, uh, not just from Indonesia, but you know, globally, we're now seeing an attitude of deregulation and you know, access to natural resources, extraction of, making it easier, trading it quicker, getting it faster. Um, and I think this is a trend that is very worrying um, for goodness sake, Indonesia is not the only one that's trying to deregulate. You've, you've got the USA, for example, gutting the EPA. You've got other countries that are also working along those lines. Um, and so it's a very different context that we're looking at all of this. And I think that, um, like I said earlier, the reason why we wish to highlight what's happening right now is because I think once you start down that road, it's going to get really difficult to turn things back again um, or even to strengthen what we already have in play, which was where we were all working towards, um, you know, in the last last few years. So it, it's not just about Indonesia and timber. It's about the fact that during this pandemic, things are happening that we can't document, get in there and look at, but also fighting against this whole attitude of, right, let's deregulate get everything we can as fast as we can and sell it with a massive profit. And that's how we've got into this situation in the first place. So don't think that's a really good idea. So I think for us, whilst it's incredibly important to work with our friends in Indonesia, this is also very much about that attitude of trying to say to leaders, don't go back where you went, make it better. This is not the way to go. So if, if next month um, this trade ministry uh, regulation uh, goes ahead and, and does push back um, on, on a lot of the progress made, what, what in sort of layman's terms is going to be the impact on the green supply chain, excuse me, green supply chain from Indonesia? Well, basically, if, if this regulation goes ahead and if, if it's truly uh, implemented in, on the 27th of May, um, I can say that it will actually um, very much undermine the whole credibility of the Indonesian legal timber system uh, because the point of export is one crucial point in the supply chain. Yeah, and um, when you when like when these timber players know that there is actually no check. At the point of export, it might, or maybe it will, you know, drive illegal logging and smuggling of timber back in Indonesia. You know, even with the uh, with the current system, we still have that issues. You know, like um, in several years ago, or not several years, last year and the um, um, the the year before, we the the DG of law enforcement have confiscated 
like more than 400 containers, con you know, uh, carrying illegal timber. So can you imagine what will happen if there is no checks and if there is no regulation governing um, um, export consignment for timber and wood products? So I, I think it, it will be a disaster. We're talking about return really to the bad old days, yeah, where, where it's kind of a free-for-all in the forest um, and there's no um, independent oversight. Well, I, no, I wouldn't. I, I'm sorry, but I think, yes, that could be a risk. But part of the system that's being created still exists. And there is now one of the good things about this being so open is that people are aware that there are risks um, and communication is better, the issue is known more. Um, I, I think it would be very, well, I'd like to think that it would be very difficult um, for anybody to even anticipate going back to what was really happening 20 years ago. I mean, I have never seen chaos like that. Um, well. But yes, the threat is there, the threat is there, but maybe, maybe I'm too positive. <laughs> No, I mean, if it's only if it's only this regulation on timber export, then yeah, probably it's it will okay. not be that easy. But you're right. as you're saying, we are now in Indonesia are facing like a whole bigger movement to deregulate from the government. So basically, not only on timber sectors, but in almost every sectors like liberalization yes. of trade, you know, a very um, uh, loose, if you like, uh, the lifting of social and environmental safeguards in terms of doing business and exploiting natural resources. And it's just like this whole thing of trying to boost economic, boost the trade. At this timber... Um, and wood export or um, sector, yeah, is actually not so much, not that big in terms of, um, you know, the value for um, like um, uh, the income for the country. But it will, it um, it will trigger a lot of other um, 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 sectors, yeah, in terms of the regulation, because you you can you can see already. Like, um, for example, people are started to uh, wonder if this kind of um, relaxation on safeguarding the um, uh, timber sector or the forest sector, wh what will happen next? Would it, In that it, case, it, I agree exactly. with you. In that case, I agree with you. I think you're right. And like I said earlier, it is this whole attitude globally of, you know, relaxing everything and deregulating everything and getting everything in profit in the short term rather than looking at sustainable approaches into that we, okay so we, we can see the, the you know the, the potential negative um, reaction to to this uh, regulation being put in place what can we do about it what, what's the upside to this what's the positive well just like just like what we did before actually as we speak right now I think there is a mobilization of <laughs> resources and people, well, not only in Indonesia, but uh, in many parts of the world, <laughs> trying to save this regulation yeah. from being undermined and weakened. And um, we have been doing this, um, you know, 
actions or activities, whatever you want to call it, since the issuance of the trade regulation. And um, Faith will uh, can tell more about what's happening on the international side of it. But um, in Indonesia, uh, civil societies, <laughs> this is uh, quite hard to believe, like uh, 20 years ago, but we are like... Uh, teaming up with the private sectors in Indonesia trying to <laughs> it's so funny though <laughs> trying to stop this trade regulation from being implemented in on the 27th of May so we have um, um, timber associations like um, uh, sun timber associations furniture association making public statement writing to the presidents um, saying that uh, they are in support of the um, timber legality verification system and as clarification on what this trade minister regulation is all about and um, how it will impact their business and also the uh, civil society uh, we have um, uh, produced like a uh, uh, briefings we wrote to the president as well and now we're talking we're taking it one step further so we are preparing a judicial review of the regulation we're going to file this to the Supreme Court and uh, we're hoping that the, well, this this will be enough to stop it from being implemented. Yeah, I think all the work that's going on in Indonesia, like I said right at the beginning of this discussion, was that Indonesia has a very strong civil society and when it mobilizes, it's quite extraordinary. And working with that is, is, a, is a beautiful thing, actually. In terms of how it's being perceived over here, particularly in Europe and, and other countries, there's been a response from the industry um, who are extremely concerned in that they don't really understand why this has happened. But also they're going to have to look at their supply from Indonesia um, and it will have to be really checked in terms of, of the ability to verify the legality of that timber. And this is going to have... An, um, you know, an impact on, on the furniture sector for sure. So it, like uh, like Manang said just now about the private sector there, we've also uh, been having very, very good conversations um, with the private sector here. So concerns have been expressed and clarification is being sought. And I think, you know, it's very important to understand that this is something that has been driven by a small part of the government of Indonesia. Um, there are many champions that are still trying to stop this from, from happening in a very difficult situation given uh, the pandemic, uh, given that uh, Ramadan is about to start, um, given that the impact COVID is having on Indonesia's economy. I can see why somebody would want to go and push trade and the economy as a priority, but not at the expense of your own natural resources. And Selling your profit short is ridiculous. Well, Faith, Minang, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Um, this is uh, obviously a, a, an unfolding issue, and I'm sure we'll be returning to it in, in the future. Um, folks, thank you for your time. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please watch this space for future episodes and uh, check out our website at eia-international.org to find out more about our work. Thank you very much for joining us, and wherever you are, stay safe out there.